Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. On the Cast, the questions asked if movies have women in them. Are all their discussions just boyfriends and husbands, or do they have individualism? The patriarchy's effing vast. Start changing it with the Bechdel cast. Hello and welcome to the Bechdel cast. My name is Caitlin Durante. My name's Jamie Loftus. And we talk about the portrayal of women in movies. All the time, but also on this podcast. Yes. Which is what it's about. Uh-huh. I think this is our best intro. It's so good. <laughs> it's, ooh, it's spooky it's, ooh, season. It's the, scary, it's the scary month. It's Halloween. Mm-hmm. We uh, This was a requested episode, was it not? Yes, people. Oh, actually, I don't know if this if people wanted this one or not, but there is a Halloween <laughs> coming. Sorry out. if you didn't want this. Well, you're getting it. I mean, um, it's a free product. You don't are, have to listen to it. We are mostly doing this because of the Halloween film that is opening yes. tomorrow, assuming you're listening to this on the, the day that this podcast episode comes out. With Jamie Lee Curtis herself. The queen. She's Bach. Mm-hmm. Yes. Scream queen icon. She was also in Scream Queens. Yeah. Wild. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Anyways, Caitlin, before we get into it, do you have a plan for your Halloween costume this year? I have started doing a thing where I dress up as my own couple's costume. Oh, yes. I love So, for example, idea. last year I was both Marty McFly and his girlfriend Jennifer in one outfit. Uh-huh. So I think I'm going to do the same thing this year with materials that I already have. I have... Everything I need to do, both a Wayne and Garth from Wayne's World. Yes. So I might do that. That's great. That's inspired. (laughs) Um, And yeah, I'm just going to, that's going to be my my new thing. Because a few years before that, you know how people will dress up like as ketchup and mustard. Well, mm-hmm. I dressed up as just ketchup one year, just, and I was I like, I that. don't need no mustard. And then the following year, I dressed yeah. up as mustard, and I said, I don't need no ketchup. Mm-hmm. So, and now I'm just combining. Basically, I'm going to be single forever is the theme of my costume. Halloween. I am going to be the Babadook. I guess that's I the beginning, it. middle, and end. <laughs> so I'm going to be the Babadook. I'm going to try really hard to be the perfect Babadook. 
Great. So. Well, that okay. So that conversation didn't pass the Bechdel test because we talked oh, about right. Marty McFly, Garth Algar, Babadook is Babadook genderless. genderless icon. So yeah, I think that that's fair. Right. So part of that conversation passed. Yes. So we use the Bechdel test as a way to initiate a larger conversation about the representation of women in film. The Bechdel test, of course, for us is a test that you apply to movies. It requires that the movie has two named female identifying characters who speak to each other about anything other than a man for at least a two-line exchange. For example, hey, Caitlin. Hey, Jamie. Did you know that the Babadook is a queer icon? I did know that. Excellent. And that passes. (laughs) All right. So, well, without much further ado, let's let's get into it. I'm so excited uh, to have our guest with us today. She's absolutely wonderful. She is a film critic and the host of the Switchblade Sisters podcast. Please welcome April Wolf. Hi. Hi. Welcome. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me in this beautiful little studio. Mm-hmm. Of course. Is it spooky in here? <laughs> oh, it's so spooky. You guys should see what they did with the play. Yeah, yeah there's really... cobwebs everywhere. <laughs> but I think that's just, you know, I like imagining that you guys record like in a dingy basement somewhere. <laughs> We used to record in, in an old attic when yeah. we recorded at Meltdown back in the day. So, you know, stinky attic and now, uh, now not. Yeah. Yes, indeed. That's our story. That's what a, and what a story it is. And what a story. Hey, <laughs> speaking of stories, let's oh talk about the story of Halloween, the John Carpenter 1978 film. Very smooth. I love Thank it. you so That's much. nice. That's good segue. Oh. You know me. I'm a Segway icon. Okay. Like the scooter, though. Yeah, I just own a bunch of Segways. You're like, Joe. People are all about those bird scooters. I'm still rocking the Segway. You're like, honey, I just paid off my Segway. I'm going to be riding that. Um, so, April, tell us about your history, your relationship with the film Halloween. Oh, I just fucking love it. Oh. Um <laughs> When did you first see it? When I was probably too young to even remember that I was seeing it. Uh, My family and I used to watch horror movies when we were very, very young Mm. and continued doing so. So I am a uh, a horror queen. Mm. I really enjoy the genre. And um, I just remember it was very chilling. It it was one that stuck with me in the same way that uh, Nightmare on Elm Street did. Mm. Those two are kind of like paired up in my mind, even though they're very, very different movies. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've confused them before because I wasn't sure if I had seen this movie or not. It's funny, but people also confuse Friday the 13th. I had to hear a very long conversation that I couldn't interrupt in the theater where people were talking about Jason Voorhees and Halloween. And I was like, oh, God. It's not the, Jason. The test of your lifetime. <laughs> it was. I was just like, am I going to be that person who's sitting by themselves um, in the theater? Actually, exactly. <laughs> I didn't. Go ahead. Go, 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 go. So, Jamie, what's your history? I thought I had seen it. Mm-hmm. I thought, but this is, again, one of those movies that is so known in the culture that there were certain scenes that I was like, oh, I've seen that. Yeah. But I hadn't seen the whole movie. So I saw it, uh, you know, this, this morning. morning. Uh, I saw it this morning. And Very good. It's a scary fucking movie. It's like, yeah, it it holds up in terms of it was very scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I liked it. I, I like horror movies. I just um, get them confused. 
Sure. Yeah. I mean, what's to confuse? There's just like a lot of murders. Yeah. Usually, Usually a man in a mask. A man in a mask. I mean, like, they're very different movies. <laughs> it's always like, uh, yeah, an angry man with, with a mask and also like a weirdly chill sounding name every time. You're like, oh, Michael. Yeah. <laughs> and also as a as a notorious collector of Michaels, this one hit close to home. Sure. 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 Yeah. Sure. Yeah. My history is I saw the original Halloween probably for the first time in college when I was just, you know, you're collecting Michaels, I'm collecting, having watched movies, you know, as a film student, you know, I'm I'm just like, gotta get this one, gotta catch them all, you know, but I didn't watch it again, although I did see Halloween H2O, I think in high school. So It's not a bad movie. That's the first one I saw, and I haven't haven't rewatched it since then, and then I saw Halloween Resurrection in the theaters with a couple friends of mine in high school. Wait, really quick, where does the H2O come in? Well, great question. <laughs> uh, there is, I did not realize quite how extensive the Halloween franchise was, but we've got this first, the, the original one in 1978, Halloween 2 comes out in 81, okay. then we've got Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, then we've got Halloween 4, Return of Michael Myers in 1988, so Halloween many. 5 from 1989, then we've got Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers from 1995. Have you seen them all? I will admit that I've not seen them all. I've oh. uh, Up to a point. I kind of was this picking is, and choosing. And we have, I mean, we haven't even hit Halloween oh, yeah, H2O. We're, we're, yeah. No, no, like this is a long Whoa. ways away. Mm-hmm. God. <laughs> uh, Halloween the... <laughs> is it just a remake of the first one, but underwater was my question. <laughs> like, that like, is it like... Titanic or is it not? <laughs> oh, why? Because I will see it if it's the Titanic there, version of Halloween. Yeah. There is a movie called Ghost Ship, which I think is the closest thing it, we'll get yeah. to a, a scary Titanic then we've got Halloween H2O, colon, 20 years later in 1998, <laughs> with Jamie Lee Curtis reprising her role as Laurie Strode. But um, underwater. This but time. underwater this time. She's in scuba gear. <laughs> <laughs> then, in 2002, we've got Halloween Resurrection, again featuring Jamie Lee Curtis as her Laurie Strode character. Mm-hmm. And finally, we've got the... Halloween movie coming out in 2018 with, again, Jamie Lee Curtis. And then that is not even including the two reboots that Rob Zombie made. I think we should forget about those. Yeah, I've heard they're bad. But I know that Rob Zombie fans just love them because it's his style. And that's, you know, that's whatever you want. But for me, they're not part of the franchise. And and that's that's fine, you know, like like them, but they're not part of this franchise, I feel. Mm -hmm. Got it. So the Halloween franchise, it is fairly extensive, but we're going to, we're focusing on just the, the first one for this episode. Right. So my, my background with the film isn't super, you know, I've just seen it a couple times now. As I've said before, horror is not my favorite genre. Not that I don't like it. It's just that I, I feel uh, like you're just like scaredy qualifying that for me. Like, no, no, it's okay. You can like it. It's It's, fine. No, I really, my, so slasher movies, I tend not to like very much. Mm -hmm. The horror movies that I like the most, um, usually more of a supernatural devil component to them. Like, Rosemary's Baby and The Exorcist that. and yeah. like The Omen. I like that kind of subgenre of horror a lot more. April, is Michael Myers like in your tops in terms of like horror movie villains? 
I mean, I guess there's a lot of horror movie villains. There's a lot. Of, like, yeah. I think some people don't realize how deep the horror genre is because, mm-hmm. the, you know, you really only see the top ones constantly. But right. uh, I mean, he's, he's definitely a wonderful creation because he is such a blank slate. Mm-hmm. And yeah. there's always going to be that really beautiful sequence of a little boy in a clown costume holding a bloody knife, which is, <laughs> it's you know, it's a great idea for a murderer, you know? It's yeah. A great idea for a I murderer. love that scene because it keep the camera keeps pulling out and it's just his two parents standing on either side of them, yeah. not reacting at all. Nope. They don't go into the Mom's, house to see. Her hands are in her pockets like she's like, again hmm. with a bloody knife? <laughs> you know, like, what? <laughs> We're on that scene for like maybe ten seconds or more, and it's they're a just long shot, not yeah. doing anything. And it's like, are you gonna investigate why your six-year-old son is holding a? They bloody got that knife? crane for a day, you know. Right. <laughs> you buy that crane for a day. You're like, oh, like hold yeah. the shot, hold the shot as long <laughs> as you can. Get that crane. Yeah. I'm like, okay, kid, continue to look baffled at what you've done. That's <laughs> <laughs> great. Enjoyed uh, that. Yeah. Uh, shall I do the recap? Yeah. Yes. So we open on a scene where this little boy stabs his sister to death. Oh, and, and not just his sister, his completely nude Naked. sister. You know when you're just chilling in your room totally nude and your brother comes in and you're like, hey, get out of here. And you don't make any effort. You turn your tits towards him. <laughs> you're like, hey, come on. Like, that was really funny. It's my first favorite male gaze moment of the movie. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh yeah, when my child brother comes in and I just like make no effort to conceal my tits at all. Right. They're really good tits, though, too. I remember being like, oh, shit, I don't think I appreciated those when I was a kid. (laughs) Just beautiful. If I had seen if I had seen the movie when I was younger, they would have made me like feel bad because they're that good. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. They're that good. I would have taken it personally. (laughs) (sighs) Okay, so then um, she dies. And the reveal is that, oh, the person who just slaughtered this young nude woman was a six-year-old boy. And her parents don't care. (laughs) (laughs) And then we cut to, I believe it's 15 years later, there are a few medical personnel who go to this like psychiatric ward to move Michael Myers, the man that this little murder kid grew up to be, but he has already gotten out. He attacks the nurse and he steals their car and escapes. So that would put Michael Myers in his like early 20s? Yeah. Yeah, you know, he's he's young. yearning to be free. A young buck. He he's like, I can, I can drink Europe. now. Yeah. Let's, get this guy in, let's get this guy in night school. We can turn this around. <laughs> we should say that Donald Pleasance is one of the... Yes, he is yes. the yes. He's like one of my favorite actors of all time. So mm-hmm. He plays Dr. Loomis. So Michael Myers is, he's out on the town. He's looking for a Zumba class. <laughs> <laughs> and it is Halloween now. So then we meet Laurie Strode, Jamie Lee Curtis's character. She is a teenager. Her dad is trying to sell the Myers house that we can assume has been abandoned for quite some time. Sure. And throughout the day, she starts seeing this creepy guy in a mask who appears to be stalking her. A few of her friends are around, and they don't really believe her. Uh, Then we see Dr. Loomis notify the town sheriff, who is also Annie, one of Lori's friends. That's her dad. And Dr. Loomis is all like, Michael escaped, and he's on the loose. Then later that night, 
Lori is babysitting for a little boy, and her friend Annie is also babysitting for another neighborhood girl. There's a lot of different houses and babysitting situations. Some real, some real like questionable logic to get Annie out of her clothes is given. I really liked that scene. It's, yeah, I was like, wait, a butter. <laughs> She's like, this is a mess. Strips nude. And then there just happens to be like a men's white dress shirt around yeah. where I'm just like, it's like oh. is that Lindsay's dad's shirt? You just yeah. yeah. She's like, I'm t- in too much of a hurry for pants. You know, she just can't. She's so horny. She doesn't even put on pants to leave the house. It's like, it's great. She gets stuck in a window like Winnie the Pooh at one point. It's just, it's crazy. It's, yeah, she's just like horny chaos, that character. <laughs> She's my favorite. I really liked her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was like, man, I w- that's, some, uh, that's who I wish I was in high school. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so their other friend, Linda, is hanging out with her boyfriend. So then Annie swings by with her child uh, that she's babysitting. And she's like, here, Lori, take this kid. I have to go have sex. And no pants. No, she's not wearing pants. Yeah, no questions about that. Just <laughs> Yeah, Lori says nothing. <laughs> Lori's like, oh, that's my friend Annie. Yeah. <laughs> no pants, Annie. She's kind Classic of a mess, Annie. but we love her. <laughs> so Annie leaves. She leaves to go hang out with her boyfriend, but before she can get there... Michael Myers gets her and he kills her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we move to Linda and Bob's area where they're hanging out, which I think is either in Annie's house or the house that Annie's supposed to be babysitting in. It's at that house because they like mm-hmm. stumble into that house and start humping each other with the door unlocked. <laughs> and then they get the call that no one is coming back after all. And oh, then right. I think that they decide to stay, right? Yeah. yeah. And then they're just like, let's get drunk. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. sleep in these people's like yeah. bed. <laughs> Another one of my favorite reacts in the whole you know when, you know, your boyfriend shows up at your door dressed as a ghost with a sheet. With glasses on over top of it. And yeah. and once again you whip your tits out. And you're, you're like, like oh, you're like, oh my god. You <laughs> like what you it. see? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love, oh god. Which we should say that actress is also in one of my favorite movies, uh, Rock and Roll High School. Oh, yes. PJ Souls. Yeah, she's okay. the lead in that movie. Mm-hmm. She's also in her. a recent episode we did, Carrie, as one exactly. of the bully girls. Yep. Yeah. Yes, she is. Mm-hmm. Wow. She's mm-hmm. the sporty. She she wore her hat to the audition, and they were like, no, that's who your character is. And she's like, oh, fuck, I want to play someone else. <laughs> <laughs> a very productive couple of years for this lady mm-hmm. yeah yeah so uh linda and her boyfriend have sex and then they get murdered whenever michael myers comes in well and... sure they had sex after all exactly yeah we'll talk about that mm-hmm. um and then so Lori goes to investigate because she's like hey my friends aren't where they said they're gonna be right. and she finds their dead bodies then michael myers pops in he's like hey and he cuts her arm he's literally like hey hey yeah <laughs> hey, hey. <laughs> yeah. she's like oh hey uh they scuffle she hurts her leg she she mm-hmm. gets away runs back to the house that she's babysitting at she's screaming somebody please help me where's dr loomis and all this we don't know then michael myers comes into the house he's trying to get her she's fighting back she stabs him with a knitting needle he yeah. collapses he seems dead but he's not but and then... come on laurie that's not gonna kill someone probably <laughs> right 
So then she like barricades herself in a closet. He's breaking in. She pokes him in the eye with a clothes hanger. Mm. He drops his knife. She stabs him. He collapses again, seeming dead, but he's not because then he gets back up. And then there's one final struggle. And then Dr. Loomis comes in, shoots him. Michael Myers falls out the window. And then they're like, oh, we got him. But then when they look outside, he's gone. And that's the end of the movie. <laughs> so let's take a quick break and then we'll come back to discuss. Yay. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature. And of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I, I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Woo! So this movie was co-written and produced by a woman, Deborah Hill. Um, I believe John Carpenter's then girlfriend, later his wife, and then even after that, his ex-wife. 
but it's my understanding that she wrote a lot of the dialogue for the women while Carpenter wrote most of the dialogue for the men. And April, you, I think, know more about this. Yeah, so. we are, we are students. Yeah, I believe that she was very involved in the story structure. Mm-hmm. And if you watch the movie, very prominently it says a Deborah Hill film. Mm-hmm. It does not say a John Carpenter film because she was the producer. So as the creative producer on this project, you know, she was shepherding it um, all the way through. Mm-hmm. And... It's a weird thing to go into maybe like um, freshman year film classes or something where they're watching Halloween and they talk about it as though it's an auteurs film. And that's wonderful. And I love John Carpenter with all of my heart. He's one of my favorite cranky assholes. <laughs> but this is a collaborative film. Mm-hmm. And so much of his work was collaborative with Deborah Hill and with other people as well. So it's, it's a strange thing to think that like, a woman was the driving force behind this movie mm-hmm. and and helped him push it over the threshold. Mm-hmm. So I hope people remember it as a Deborah Hill film. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but they don't uh, they, because no. because women. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. really interesting to look at her New York Times obituary. She did die very young, I think. Um, yeah, in 05. Yeah, in 05. And she was only like 50 54. something. 54. Mm. So the headline of her obituary says, you know, essentially, the woman who helped create Halloween. Mm. And it's real <sighs> fucked up for me to think that, like, the story genesis actually might have been hers because if it says a Deborah Hill film, she was probably the one who was behind hmm. the cr- that. Right. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, you know, she helped create it you know but that's such a it's such a diminutive way of talking about her role right in, in this movie and then other john carpenter but i guess you know it's one of those things where headlines that are just like so-and-so's wife does this you know yeah it's the his wife of his wife. his yeah. wife yeah <laughs> it's oh that's really frustrating and, and disappointing i'm seeing she also was involved with the fog escape from new york and escape from la yeah some like, of my favorite films for sure <sighs> Hmm. Well, pour one out for Deborah tonight. That's so fucking frustrating. I love, one of my favorite things is that she, I hope that she came up with a conquistador storyline for The Fog. (laughs) (laughs) You guys have ever seen that? It's just like, I have, have, yeah. Ghost conquistadors. (laughs) Just like, sure. (laughs) Invading a radio station. So wonderful. I love it. Yeah, I I feel like a a woman being a driving force behind this project does show at at a lot of, points because because i do have a lot of these horror movies of this era conflated i assumed that this movie was going to be less good to women that and that the female characters in the story i guess were going to be less active than they mm-hmm. than they ended up being because i think that i mean a lot of horror movies that came out like when i was in high school first of all they were remakes of a lot of these and they were worse where like female characters were even less active and there was mm. even more pressure for them to be you know scantily clad and i mean i guess you know annie <laughs> there there are some clear moments but i i don't know i was uh, generally it seems impressed less with lurid. It. something happened yeah. in the 90s and early aughts that turned me off of a lot of horror films and it was really nice when I could find some that kind of bucked those trends some international movies that had come Mm. out around that time that you know were just a little bit different or some indies you know like uh, the movie May came out around that time Lucky McKee's movie and you know that's one where like a woman is very very present and wonderful and so good Angela Bettis and uh, Anna Faris are in that one oh interesting 
Yeah, I feel like a lot of the, it kind of just turned into this like torture porn genre of, you know, just like brutality with like no nuance almost. But again, I don't know enough about. It's true. Yeah. Saw really was a, you yeah. know, a driving force in that. And it's a really interesting thing. I did interview one of the directors of the Saw uh, franchise, um, Darren Bousman, who is a really kind person and, you know, he owes a lot of his career to Saw, but, you know, he's got children now and he's like, I would never direct one of those movies if I were the person that I am now. You oh, know, like, so I'm not sure if I would, I'm not comfortable with it. I'm not, I don't want to put that into the world, you know? Right. So he's like a, a weird thing that happened in, in that time period. That's yeah. so interesting that he went on record as, we'll, we'll, we'll <laughs> link that uh, to that interview too, because that is, I think, kind of like cool of him to, to cop to as well. Interesting. Yeah. You know, everyone outgrows some of their their old desires, their old things that they wanted to make, and yeah, you, know, you feel like it's childish, and you're you know you're kind of caught up in like this is the zeitgeist of what was going on in horror then. Mm. Sure. Kind of going off of that, that was the reason I wasn't. Allowed, I mean, part of the reason I'm not that into horror movies is because I you know wasn't allowed to watch any of them growing up. Mm. But the reason I wasn't allowed to watch them wasn't because of the fact that they were scary, it was because of the torture porn elements to it, where uh. I remember my mom was very turned off by the like sexualized elements of the movies that were coming out then. I think that the Final Destination franchise also kind of fell into that category as it went on for me. I like those movies, though. Mm. So, yeah, I, Je- I mean, Jeffrey Riddick, uh, like a gay black man, created one of the most successful franchises in horror history. Mm. And I am a very big fan of the first few uh, final love- destinations, <laughs> like really big fan of them. I saw three first, and I have such a the roller coaster one. Oh I god, I think that's a, the I first one I saw three. too. I love three. And our producer it. Sophie, really? Wow. I, was that what an iconic movie? <laughs> I really loved the the roller coaster one. Stuck with me for years. Like that was so the tanning bed. Yes. Death, the, oh, <laughs> they're they're electrocuted. <laughs> and, oh my god! It uh, horrible. I mean, we're we're not even talking about the lumber, the whatever coming off of the back of the truck. Oh the, yes. and going through the, the Final Destination two, I believe. Ooh. Wow. Those movies well, are really good. Okay. We got to talk about Halloween. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, but but all that to say, you know, Halloween's markedly different from for sure. where we were at in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Halloween is not the first slasher movie. There's some kind of debate as to what it is. But, the, but Halloween is credited as ushering in the popularity of the slasher subgenre because this was a huge box office hit it had a a low budget of i think around three hundred twenty five thousand dollars, and it grossed 70 million in the box office you know super popular really helped usher in the slasher subgenre and it made jamie lee curtis that was like her first scream queen role Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i don't think a lot of people understand when they try to copy these kinds of movies they don't understand what the key to success was in the first one oh yeah like i do think that you know when you're looking at nightmare on elm street i think that that's a really great successful kind of slasher you know rip off in some ways of of these slightly earlier ones because there is a very interesting and enigmatic killer you know and it's very creative yeah and you know you look at this as a precursor to any other slasher and you're like wow this is extremely creative Mm -hmm. um and now it's just been done so many times right yeah and also, I didn't know I didn't know the origin story of Michael Myers, but just the fact that he was originally among them, and he's not this like abstract monster that you don't know where he came from. He mm-hmm. literally came from 
the same suburb where he's now. I don't know. That's that makes it scarier. Yeah, know, just like for sure. Yeah. So I want to talk about the brutalization of women in horror movies. So here what we... are you talking about? Um, I don't. Sorry, I, I, I made a mistake. Um, I'll just go home. Um, so horror as a genre, as with all genres, there are certain genre-specific tropes that revolve around gender. And many of those tropes mean a misguided or damaging portrayal of women. Mm-hmm. But horror especially, I think, is worth talking about because unlike, say, action, adventure, fantasy sci-fi movies where women are generally sidelined and not allowed to participate much in the story horror movies especially slashers and probably other subgenres, generally allow women to be much more active participants in the story but this means that they are also often very heavily brutalized so i want to kind of break down the people who get attacked in this movie by gender so the first thing we see is the myers teen girl at the very beginning being brutally stabbed look yeah look at my tits little brother Mm -hmm. she's proud of them (laughs) she is (laughs) like she should be yeah eight-year-olds the clown mask shot Whew. Yeah, but I do have to say the clown mask shot actually does obscure some of the the tits. A bit, so it, yes. it's it's a weird thing. Like it's less lurid than it would be if it, it also, were just. It also makes you think that he's much taller. <laughs> weird, right? Yeah. Anyways, right. Um. So then her boyfriend leaves before the stabbing happens, so he escapes the brutality there. The nurse outside of the hospital that she and Dr. Loomis go to, she gets attacked, not killed, but Michael Myers does kind of like struggle with her. Meanwhile, Dr. Loomis is not attacked. Mm -hmm. So, so far it's two women and no men. I like that that woman never shows up in the movie again because she's like, no, fuck this. You guys deal with it. Like, I am out. She's like, I'm getting (laughs) transferred. This is is fucking not okay. (laughs) Good for her. Where's right. that spin-off? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Nurse Betty is who she became. Nurse, I would watch that TV show. Yeah. I'd watch that sitcom. Isn't there a movie called Nurse Betty? Did is I make that there? up? Yeah, with um. Yeah, she has amnesia. She sees like a murder and then has amnesia about it. Literally this movie. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Nurse Betty. Okay. Next thing we see is a dead man's body by a red truck. He's already dead. There's no woman present. So we don't see a man attacked, but we do see his dead body. Uh, Next thing is Annie getting strangled in the car and then her neck is slashed by Michael Myers. Annie's boyfriend, Paul, however, is not present. So he is not attacked. Too bad. Maybe he had pants. (laughs) Kind of lent her. Then we see Linda get attacked and strangled, and then her boyfriend Bob also gets strangled and then stabbed. Finally, so finally, there's a we see a man. We crucify a teen boy as well. (laughs) And then at the very end, Lori is repeatedly attacked by Michael Myers, but there's no sort of male counterpart there for him to be attacked. So it's. Essentially, five women we see attacked in the movie, and only one man we see being brutalized. April, this is not an unusual ratio, is it? Or or is it? No, no. I mean, no. there's usually, I mean, you might say it's like, if there are seven people, there's usually four women and three men. You mm-hmm. know, there's okay. always at least one more woman who's 
who's separate. And she's usually like the slut, you know, and it's mm-hmm. great. She's like the what most charismatic character and, and everyone's like, oh, she's definitely dying. Paris Hilton and House of Wax. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is the one I go let's, to for that. Let, yeah, let's. I guess I have seen a lot of these movies. Um <laughs> Yeah, I, I liked I I did like the skanky ones of the early and mid aughts. Those are most of the ones that I saw. Well, House of Wax was like oh five. Oh right, yeah. 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 Well, to that point of the women who are attacked and killed, certainly in this movie and in many, if not most, slasher movies, all those women are sexualized in some way. Where sure. uh, the Myers girl at the beginning is seen making out with a boy, and then presumably they have sex, and then she is stabbed. Annie is on her way to have sex with Paul. We see her undress because of the butter she apparently spills all over her clothes. She gets ruining so mad. <laughs> she gets so mad about oh the God. whole butter situation. I'm like, okay, seems like there's a lot of metaphors in this movie. Where, what's the butter? She's like, I spilled lube all over myself. <laughs> Takes off shirt. <laughs> oh, no. Um, and, th- and then Linda has sex with Bob and then gets strangled to death so because and we've hinted at this before or we've talked about this before i think on the friday the 13th episode and it's worth going uh, into a lot more on this episode because laurie strode is you know the virgin type she ends up being the final girl where while she is attacked by the killer she survives well, I think there's a lot of indicators attached to Laurie's character that, from my read of it, went even beyond her being the virgin. Where, and it's kind of all the classic indicators, but you know, at the beginning, we find out that she's very into her studies and she mm-hmm. like gives a fuck that she forgot her chem book, and everyone yeah. else is like, Who whatever, cares? we're you know, butter. And uh, <laughs> she, instead of hanging out with boys, she's doing a very maternal activity she's taking care of children mm. uh she is she's good she's knitting you guys like she, she actually yeah. brings like her knitting well, um, like materials with her her the two weapons she uses are a knitting needle and a clothes hanger so she's using i think we were talking about this recently like just domestic kind of feminine weapons mm-hmm. to attack this man which i thought was kind of like cool and an interesting choice it means she is kind of she's resourceful but it yes. also does mean that, yeah, we were talking about this on the Raiders of the Lost Ark episode where Marion Ravenwood, right. the one weapon she uses is a frying pan to like hit a guy over the head with, which is another domestic item. It's uh, an observation of something. I think, I mean, there's different ways to look at it where, you know, it could be used to her advantage of like, yes, she's resourceful. She's using what's around um, and she's not, I guess taking the mass like the masculine whatever phallic item to turn it on a man and you know she's using the feminine objects that are around her mm. I, I don't i don't know i i can i can see that both ways but there's and then she's dressed differently than every other woman in the movie too yeah big baggy sweaters yeah Mm-hmm. Really yeah, cool skirts. penny loafers, though. I really like it. Right. I'm mean, like I, really into her style. I like well, Annie's the, my favorite, but I mm. liked the look. I thought yeah. it was a good look. Yeah. Um, great, they they bought hair. her uh, wardrobe at J.C. Penny. Is some trivia that I read. Oh, <laughs> that does not surprise me. And I also am a penny kid. So <laughs> all of my clothes from like ages, I think five till. 18 were bought at jc penny yeah i think that we got my clothes at marshall's and they had bought it from jc penny so it was like last season jc penny sure 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 but you know it trickles down uh so 
kind of looking at this from a um, screenwriting perspective. I do have a master's degree in screenwriting from Boston University. I hate to bring it up, but um, uh, (laughs) I think there is a very specific reason that slasher movies like this have a lot of women in them as the main characters because filmmakers of horror movies are going to use whatever tools they can to heighten and amplify the horror and they think that it's scarier when a woman gets attacked uh, because women are perceived as being weaker by society so brutalizing women has a greater like emotional impact on the audience well i also i mean i also think that it's just in the world more likely that men are attacking women for reasons that are deep-seated and we don't fully understand (laughs) than than the reverse. Well, there's also the, I mean, this is a biblical story construction. I think people forget that uh, horror movies are actually drawn from very deep, long histories. Mm -hmm. Um, And so even if you look at Night of the Hunter, for instance, that is, you know, a really kind of beautiful fairy tale of a early horror film and it it is also one where uh women who feel sexual are the ones who are murdered Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. it's also you know a a comment on what that is on the killer and you know talking about god talking to him and telling him to do these things and in the same way you can see a little bit about uh, michael meyer perhaps having someone kind of talking to him and telling to him that this is a moral thing and that morally these people are bad. And so it, it is, to me, it's always been very, very biblical. And I was raised Roman Catholic and mm. we love horror movies. <laughs> it is about us. It is about us. It's like our story where we're like, oh, yeah, that's so fucked up. Let's watch this, you <laughs> yeah, know. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, you can see that um, that trajectory from the earliest of horror films about morality and women and um, sexuality and who gets punished and who isn't. Mm-hmm. Sure, so, sure. You know, watching something like this where women are brutalized, in some ways it, it's, uh, you know, reinforcing what I was taught as a child, you know, about, about that morality. Mm-hmm. And then also it is circumventing it because there there is one woman who survives, you mm-hmm. know, and there is... right. You know, yeah. it's, it, it's never like all good or all bad, you know. Sure. A few different interpretations. I, I did some research afterwards just to, to make sure that I was, that my reading of it was sort of tracking. Because, you know, the, the morality play elements of it seemed to read very clearly, where it also didn't resonate with me on first viewing that there's an implication, at least, that the reason, because I was like, why does Michael Myers kill his sister? Like, what, it, I, I didn't figure that out the first time and then went back and watched that scene again to be like, did I miss something? I think the implication, and then I sort of checked this against other stuff, mm. uh, is that he's upset that she is in, you know, like engaging in sexual whatever instead of taking care of him, instead of paying attention to him. Mm. And so it's his anger at her sexuality versus taking care of him that motivates that killing, uh-huh. which helps me out a lot with not justifying, but what is motivating the other, like it makes him so mad when teenage women are sexual because they're not babysitting him, mm-hmm. right? But then I, I, I was... I think he's an incel. I think he's absolutely an oh. incel. If only he just had that terrifying internet community to go to <laughs> at that time. And then, but then uh, John Carpenter, and it's, it's again, it's like, I wish I knew what Deborah Hill thought about this because uh, Carpenter 
later went on the record as saying he doesn't think Halloween is a morality play at all. And he says people who say that completely missed the point mm-hmm. and then says, uh, quote, the one. OK. And his read, I'm like, did you see your own movie? Uh, but <laughs> he says, uh, quote, the one girl who is the most sexually uptight just keeps stabbing this guy with a long knife. She's the most sexually frustrated. She's the one that's killed him, not because she's a virgin, but because of all that sexually repressed energy starts coming out. She uses all those phallic symbols on the guy. So that is. A I don't. Yeah, I don't buy that. I, I don't read think that Hill would have. So too. Yeah. Also, I. This happens a lot where critics of horror movies will be like, "The phallus is the knife and the thing." And I, I don't really get. I mean, I get why this happens, but equating stabbing someone to death with a knife and equating that to. I think sex? of it as a giant clit, personally. <laughs> Like you're just killing someone with a gigantic <laughs> like, clitoris. Why are we equating penis, vagina, heteronormative, penetrative sex? Why does that get equ- I know why, but why does it get equated with Violence? stabbing someone and murdering someone to death? Oh boy! I mean, I mean that maybe is too limitless. much. Yeah, yeah, that's. Uh... <laughs> You know, I, it's just like don't sexualize my knife. My knife is my knife. Right, it's for murder, not don't sex. gender my knife. Um, Guns are pretty clear. Those are pretty obviously yeah. penises. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think when they come, they kill. <laughs> it's not good. It's bad. Um, we gotta take a quick break, <laughs> but we'll come back for more. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. 
and you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I, I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, if no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Can we talk a little bit about the final girl trope? Because oh, Jesus. okay, no, I'm intrigued because <laughs> no. you're. This is this is. We've only talked about the final girl trope once. Okay, last year, All right when we did Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah. So we'll talk about what it is, and then we're. I'm very interested in what your read of it is because yeah, I'm sure yeah, there's yeah, a whole secret yeah. history we don't know about. Yeah. So um, it has become such an easily recognizable trope that other horror movies have been referencing it for a couple decades now like in scream it gets talked about a lot it gets alluded to in cabin in the woods there's even a movie called the final girls that came out in 2015 which i did see in theaters brag um (laughs) but there's also another movie called just final girl as well that came out like a year after that the the trope is that the kind of virginal studious good girl who is among the cast of peers who are are much more sexual than she is. She's mm. the one who gets away, she escapes, and or defeats the killer. Basically, she's the last survivor left alive after the killer has murdered everybody else. Gotta live long enough to fuck, baby. <laughs> Can't die a virgin. Right. So... That's the thinking behind that, right? There <laughs> are. <laughs> yep. I've read feminist arguments for and against this trope and slasher movies in general. But yeah, I'm curious to hear your take on it, April. It's something that I've had to talk about so much that I'm like, what have I not said before? Because if you're a woman who is in horror, who likes horror, that's kind of the first thing that people want to talk about. Mm -hmm. Um, Anna Biller got herself into some trouble recently, director of a movie called The Love Witch, Mm. because she said that she thinks that the the final girl's bullshit. Mm. Um, and it's uh, it's one of those things where are women who are talking about the final girl and embracing the final girl, are they participating in their own, you know, patriarchal destruction? Or are they actually doing something that is feminist? And I don't think that there's any one answer to, sure. to that. Um, the way that I think about it is... Um, something that women have not had that many movies that we get to see ourselves in, right? And sure. so one of the reasons why I was always gravitating towards horror was because you actually saw a female character, at least one generally, who was very well developed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's like, oh, okay, great. And she, you know, often very strong, that kind of thing. And in the same way that gay people and people of color have had to kind of reinterpret movies mm-hmm. for their own use and their own instruction and their own kind of like peace of mind. The Duke. There you go. I mean, that's the thing. It's like we find what we want in movies. And I think that it's completely okay to look at a movie like, you know, Halloween and say, I idolize 
Jamie Lee Curtis's character in this, Laurie Strode, because, you know, she survived. And yeah. she's a great character. And she's got some texture. And she's interesting. And to say that that's something that you can exalt. And I'm also okay with Anna Biller saying that it's bullshit. Mm-hmm. You know, I think mm-hmm. that I think that you you look for things that you want to be in film even if they're not quite there yeah Um, some obviously are better than others i do think that halloween has some interesting characters who i love i love sluts in movies (laughs) i love them so much they're so fun i really loved annie but that's one another thing where like in horror movies you only get to see sluts in horror movies like kind of like fully kind of like self-actualized like this is who i am of course they get murdered and i Try not to think about that. But I love right. their characters so much, and I, I love spending time with them. Yeah. Um, and so you just ha- kind of have to look past some other things. Sure. And to enjoy what you want yeah. from it. I, I definitely agree that I it's a matter of examining each individual movie and looking at how it decides to portray the female characters, how it kind of comes about the final girl scenario thing. It's not... I don't think the idea of the final girl is inherently good or bad. I think it's just a matter of, okay, how does this movie how do you handle it? it? Yeah, mm-hmm. and how, how do you right. interpret it as it plays out on screen in each individual movie? There's a, I mean, and, and I'm like tempted to give Deborah Hill most of the credit for the parts of these movies that, of this movie specifically, that might kind of bug me or I might roll my eyes at in other horror movies that I didn't in this particular one but one of the reasons this movie was like still kind of scary to me was it's like great use of voyeuristic shots because Mm -hmm. there's so I mean like that's where a lot of the horror comes from before people die for minutes you're seeing you're in the predator's mask or you're right behind him and you're you're watching you know you're watching Annie inexplicably strip nude in someone else's kitchen and put on a dad's shirt or just stuff like that that plays so well especially when I was younger and still living in the suburbs of like the feeling of being watched by a masked man uh, when you're just trying to do do your fucking thing which I don't know like I definitely had some peeping toms when I was a kid it yeah, was, like oh, they yeah. were gross, and my my stepdad had to chase them away from oh, the wow, window. Yeah. Like it was just oh, weird. Yeah. That's the kind of thing that's like extremely, you know, resonant for a lot of suburban. We had a, girls. We had like a closed shade rule after like six p.m. All shades would be closed mm-hmm. once like me and my cousins hit puberty it was oh, just yeah. like bye yeah towels over the just in case you know like well yeah layers. because you can see the shadows that was an issue in my neighborhood where we were closing the shades but you could still see the silhouettes and the shadows and that was also not good oh so the peepers would would stay peeping in silhouette they yeah. would be old-timey peeping and uh and but, so you had to like go the next so it does it, resonate yeah like, it does and you know there's a, it's an interesting thing that they have scenes of annie just doing laundry like that's yeah, just the scene yeah. and you're like but you just know that he's out there somewhere yeah, and, and he she, could be watching poos, her you're like oh she's dead <laughs> but then she's not then the then then Lindsay the kid who for a like large portion of her time on screen is catatonic watching the thing which yeah. I thought was really funny that was something cuz we're recording an episode on Scream tomorrow and uh something that showed up in this movie and then in Scream as well is like they're watching horror like this is this horror movie takes place in a world where horror movies already exist mm-hmm. Which to me was, seemed like why they kept cutting back to 
the thing and, you know, kind of referencing stuff like that, mm-hmm. which I think does something to, like, strengthen the characters within the world because it's, like, you know, it's it's so frustrating when you see a character go into the place they shouldn't be going into and it's, like, have you ever seen a horror movie before? So a movie going out of its way to be, like, no, they've seen a horror movie before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. I do find that fascinating and there's definitely a lot more we can say about that when we talk about Scream, but... um one of the things I wanted to point out about Laurie Strode as the, you know, final girl, as the as the remaining survivor of this movie, is that we see her fight back. She, as we talked about, uses a few different weapons. She is Many times, putting up yeah. a fight. Mm-hmm. She's running away. She's screaming for help. People are like bystandering the fuck out of that situation and ignoring her. There's a moment she gets Tommy's attention by throwing the plant up at his window mm-hmm. and he's just like, get the fuck down, which is also a questionable decision, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> she's like, let's get into the house where there's children. Um, yeah. But she's just know. not thinking. She's not thinking. Right. Yeah. I mean, she's in Could panic mode. There's like a fight or flight situation going on. And then it is, I did find myself frustrated at times and maybe this is unfair of me because I have not been in a situation where I've been chased by a murderous, crazy person with a knife. You gotta try it. But I, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, you can pay to get that done. Now. I've heard about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I'm just like, oh. God. So people love experiences. Yeah. It's experience stuff. But I was like, she stabs the guy with a knitting needle, and then she just like collapses on the couch for a while. The knife is right there. She drops it, and it's just like, no, like kill him some more like make sure he's dead uh and then so i was like frustrated but also i was like i if i was in her shoes i would probably not be thinking clearly either yeah it's Um, not easy to kill a person right as it turns out (laughs) movies kind of make it seem as though it is easy to kill someone to like get even if someone's trying to hurt you having to hurt someone else in that way is extremely difficult for sure i thought of that as well but then i was like oh it's probably like a character thing like they wouldn't want the leading lady to to kill someone too hard or like (laughs) or or go quote unquote overboard with like you know 40 stab wounds right although that would have ended it right there which i think might be no it wouldn't have right because magic well, yeah, because he keeps coming back for all the sequels, even yeah, though because he... Apparently, if you're mentally ill, you also you are, are invincible. With powers, yes, which is just a whole other thing. Right. Uh, if it, only. That'd be, t- that'd be tight. Well, I think that is why the thing happens at the end, where Dr. Loomis is the one who kind of swoops in, and I would argue saves Lori yeah, by shooting Michael Myers. and Yeah, so I, I would have rather that not have had to happen where a man kind of comes in and saves the woman. Uh, I think it could have easily been that Lori, who would have been perfectly justified in she brutally stabbing him. Minute. She just needed yeah. another minute. She had it. Uh, but yeah, Dr. Loomis comes <laughs> yeah. in, shoots him, and then he falls out the window. Michael Myers disappears, and, you know, he's waiting for production to start on the sequel, whatever. But um, he... yeah, he, he zaps over to like a meeting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, sorry, yeah. I got a development meeting. Um, we go. do have to say that, like, this is kind of before you were getting like a lot of horror movies that had sequels, like in, in that period. True. So it was a very brave thing of them to do narratively to be like, let's set up a sequel. Because, like, mm-hmm. Was this going to be a sure hit? You know, they didn't know. Right. So having that kind of unresolved thing in the end of this film is also, I have to say, very fucking weird. Cool. Yeah. All right. <laughs> um, I also wanted to talk about the whiteness of horror movies. 
because maybe until very recently and even now most slasher films have a cast that is all or predominantly white as Jada Pinkett Smith's character in Scream 2 which I recently rewatched as she says the horror genre is historical for excluding the African-American element and she says about the slasher movie she's about to see in theaters is a dumbass white movie about some dumbass white girls getting their white asses cut the fuck up. So that does pretty well sum up what a lot of slasher movies are. Um, If there are people of color in the cast of a slasher movie, they are often the first to die Mm. and they almost never survive until the end. And I was kind of, I was trying to do some reading up about this and was sort of like trying to make sense of why this is and, And what are the implications of this? And I think it's part of it is that stories about rich, attractive white women are very sensationalized in the media, either in horror movies or in the news. I mean, like, think of JonBenet Ramsey and how we're still talking about that. Yeah, when it's like her brother did it. Stop talking about it. <laughs> Sorry, I mean I have seen everything, everything mm-hmm. produced. And then when you think about like the most famous serial killers, they are the ones who generally targeted young white women. We Not Robert don't necessarily. <laughs> sorry to keep poking holes. Right. So sorry. Um, Robert Durst is the exception right. to every rule. The golden standard. <laughs> But uh, story, real-life stories about women of color being killed are largely ignored by the media. They don't get nearly as much press coverage. And mm-hmm. I don't know if slasher movies excluding people of color from their stories is active commentary on that. I don't think so. I don't think white people but, just don't think about it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about slashers proliferating in the 1980s when we also had um, John... Um, God, sorry. What's his name? Sixteen Candles. John Hughes. John Hughes. John Hughes. So you've got John Hughes on this kind of like family-friendly type of thing, and he's mm. doing the same thing, and slashers are doing the same thing. The 1980s was the time of like flipped-up collar assholes, just yeah, like yeah. you know, white as heroes, people. as heroes, like you know, running wild. They're the the center of the story. They're the center of everything. Even though that was you know the 1980s, if you look at the economics of that time, that's that's representative of a very very small small number mm-hmm. of people reagan era movies are so fucking yeah. weird let's they're let's so just fucking like, weird ugh, fucking reagan dude let's yeah although i love land of confusion video the genesis <laughs> so good yeah I, I i would also guess that it was just literally lack of thought the closest i could get was they're representing like upper middle suburbia which probably wasn't as accessible to non-white people in this time. Yeah. But there's never, I mean, there's no excuse to, I feel like this is probably across all genres at this time. Mm -hmm. Um, April, have you found that that has changed significantly over time or has, has there been any progress whatsoever? It's weird. You're seeing a lot of films that are, um, a lot of directors, uh, people of color specifically, who are, kind of in development on features right now. People who've had shorts, horror shorts or mm. sci-fi shorts that are screening at festivals right now. And you see that and you're saying, oh, 
that's the next generation. Mm-hmm. Um, when Tales from the Hood came out, Rusty Cundiff's uh, anthology horror, that was one of the, the few that kind of really spoke to that. And then you've got also um, Leprechaun in the Hood, and then its follow-up also embraced you know African-American actors mm-hmm. and you know gave people their own slasher. And I have to say, Leprechaun in the Hood is one of my favorite movies. Oh, um, I haven't seen it. Seen it is so wonderful, and there's actually some really interesting performances in it. Those are really amazing movies, but they're also quite rare. Yeah. There's a woman who runs a website, Ashley, uh, called Grave Shift Sisters, mm-hmm. Graveyard Shift Sisters. That's what okay. it is, and that's um, specifically developed to talk about women of color in horror. Oh, nice! And awesome. so, if people are interested yeah. in that, Graveyard Shift Sisters has some really interesting essays and kind of digs in to find not just the women of color in features, but in the shorts that you know from those directors who might go on to make these features. So it's awesome. it's very oh. fun to see right. that. Everyone, check that out. That's yeah, so we'll, cool. We'll tweet out that link. That's awesome. One, I mean, this is sort of Casa because we're we're covering a lot of movies this month that came out in the seventies. We just did Carrie. Not only is it an all white cast, but in terms of the women that we see, there's no range of body types yeah. at all. No, uh, which just you know almost goes without saying, but th- there it is. Mm-hmm. There it is. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, also, as per usual, an extremely hetero movie. Not not a glimpse of queerness. Babadook isn't anywhere to be seen. Where's the Babadook in Halloween? That's my. <laughs> when big he just notes. shows up, he's like, "Hey, hey!" <laughs> and then Michael Myers is like, "That's my line." Then... <laughs> queerness in horror movies is also its own thing because mm-hmm. you know you do have some really wonderful kind of like lesbian vampire films that have been made but then you also have you know like buffalo bill and silence of the lambs which is a construction that trans people have had problems with oh yeah you know for but also some people have embraced him because of uh or her i don't i don't remember like what we would refer gender wise well that's but, because i think the movie misrepresents the trans experience so much that it's so hard to interpret what exactly, exactly they were going for yeah yeah and so yeah there's you know like these lines between again are we rewriting it to embrace this person because we don't see this person and to, right. to kind of envelop them in our love and be like, oh, I have empathy for you. I have sympathy mm-hmm. for you because I understand it was so difficult or something. So, you know, Buffalo Bill is a really, we- you know, weird example to put into that. But, mm-hmm. you, you know, um, there is a really great article that my friend Jordan Cruciola uh, wrote for Vulture that is like 50 of the best queer horror films. And I would Ooh. highly suggest that people check that out. Interesting. And then uh, you were, you hit on this point very briefly uh, about Michael Myers and, and sort of the way that horror movies deal with mental illness. Is there could you, could you expand on that a little bit? I'm really interested in that side of it. And it's, um, the exploitation of mental illness in horror movies is something I've thought about for a very long time. Mm-hmm. I'm a person who I would say is like mentally well now, you know, but I've obviously, <laughs> you know, being a woman, uh, I've had my bouts with oh, you know, sure. my own mental illness. So it's something that I even wrote an article about this where I interviewed a few schizophrenic men about schizophrenia portrayed in horror films mm-hmm. to talk about how they get that experience wrong or right. And it's something where we're just trying to exploit what we think it is. You know, there aren't many people who actually know what mental illness is. And I think that that's something that we're more careful about now. But damn, we didn't fuck it up for so many oh, years. So long. You know, and it's a, it's a, I'm trying to even think about ones that get it right. But there's always something that you can pick apart about it, you know? Well, right. in this movie, it's, um, I mean, I am not a therapist or psychiatrist, so I can't really properly diagnose Michael Myers. We're armchair but... diagnosing Michael Myers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
but he has some sort of some sort of psychosis is what he seems to have. He's Dissociative to some degree. Yeah. I, I don't want to even pin it to a specific mental illness. Right. Yeah. His doctor is like, nope, just pure evil. He's, and you're he, like, yeah. So ah. you know when your doctor just diagnoses, diagnoses you as straight up doctor. evil. <laughs> so it's oh, Donald Pleasant. <laughs> right. So it's basically equating mental illness with evil. evil. I mean, I think it's a pretty Very direct line in this yeah. one. Yeah. Which um, doesn't set a good precedent. No. <laughs> I, I just remembered Black Swan, I think, is one that actually does get a kind of mental illness correct in oh, some ways. Oh, I need to rewatch that. Um, I, I think it's an in- interesting depiction that even most most ballerinas who suffered with issues yeah. were just like, oh, no, no, he gets it. This is right. Oh. This is like, oh, it feels, you know, like you're just depressed and you're, yeah. I really love that movie. It's so good. I really, really love that movie. But yeah, uh, horror movies mishandle a lot of things a lot of the time, often specifically the portrayal of mental illness, the representation of the trans experience, and then it ends up perpetuating the stigma against mental illness in society. It creates more trans panic, things like that. So, And that's what I mean, I think that even with genre movies, it's useful uh, because it's easier to spot this stuff because they're like campiness and being over the top magnified right like Mm -hmm. i think this stuff is present in all movies like any drama that came out and i'm sure that these same elements are present but because everything's turned up to an 11 Mm -hmm. it's that much more clear that when you look at it what is it 40 years later now you're like oh this couldn't be more obvious when at the time that i don't i don't know yeah just like the values of the society are turned up to an 11 and so, I don't know. I mean, it's helpful to look at movies like this now mm-hmm. to some degree because you don't have to dig that deep to find to find out what, no. what is, what's going on. But there's also, I mean, I'm, I'm actually, I'm like looking at my phone trying to find this, but uh, there's some listeners of my podcast who are making a trans vampire zombie movie, I think. Oh, cool. And wow. they were doing a GoFundMe and I can't find what it is. If I can, I'll... Oh, we would love to. Yeah, we would love to. Yeah, we uh, can you, share it. Yeah. That's one of the things that I'm really excited about for horror in the future is, you know, I go to these film fests and I see like Quirly Fargiat's revenge movie. And it is a rape revenge movie that is done in a way that I've never seen before. Ooh, and awesome. it is just like chills of, you know, this woman destroying these people. And, and But there's also emotion to it. You know, mm-hmm. there's like inner interiority and there's character and there's, you know, and, I, and I'm excited about, you know, uh, uh, Julie Ducarneau's um, uh, Raw, which is uh, one of the best coming of age so sexuality movies that, yeah. that I've seen. And it, it is a perfect movie. Ooh. I will go on record as a perfect movie. 30 years from now, you will ask me, April, was this really a perfect movie? And I'll say, it is still a perfect <laughs> movie. I guarantee you. It's one of awesome. Aristotle's picks too. Yeah, we yeah. keep getting uh, recommendations Um, does anyone have any other final thoughts about Halloween as it uh, pertains to the treatment of women just speaking to the movie in general still scary Mm. and weirdly as I think sort of genre films tend to be uh, an education on the values of that time in a pretty tight hour and a half which i always Ooh, appreciate yeah, yeah yes. i'm just like oh great i love this it's like under 100 minutes and, I was like, and we are out of here it's great um yeah and and i just want to say like in keeping with something that we had brought up earlier where there are more women who are you know killed in these movies i do think that one of the reasons why is because women just make they actually make better characters and i, yeah. I like they are different and there's there's something about like 
getting to know someone before they're murdered because it makes you cringe. You're like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. No. So there's something about like and I'm thinking about the screenplays that I've written, like the horror screenplays. And I do have more women in mm-hmm. mind who get killed. But mm-hmm. it's just because I have more women characters. Sure. Because I actually enjoy right. writing them more. And I think that they they reveal their emotions and their selves so quickly on screen in a way that men it takes like much longer to get them to come out. And so you'd be years long. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like the economy of having women characters is also I think something that speaks to to horror. Like that people understand that they, they do make good characters. So for sure. Yeah, I think one of the reasons that I'm not super fond of the slasher subgenre is the very prominent brutalization of women. But it is a subgenre where there's mostly women present in the story and participating. And yes, some of them get brutally killed and it's hard to watch, but we see a lot of, and granted it is uh, mostly young white women who by western beauty standards are attractive but it has produced some interesting characters um i think there's a reason that the laurie strode character keeps showing up in these movies and people are really excited about this also shouts out jamie lee curtis she just is she's great yeah she's great big fan of her i mean it's like she's got some pretty good genes janet lee it's true and, and uh um curtis uh mm-hmm. tony curtis tony, tony curtis? curtis thank yeah. you yeah couldn't come by it more honestly loved freaky friday <laughs> <laughs> yes her, Is that your review her of Halloween? <laughs> loved freaky loved friday freaky Fr- <laughs> if it paved the way for freaky friday to happen in 2003 i i have to support it i can in good conscience not <laughs> But yeah, I I still have mixed feelings about this genre. This movie, I think, is scary. It's well-crafted. It's well-shot. It's well-acted. There's more nuance to it than a lot of slasher movies that showed up in its wake. But I'm rarely going to watch a slasher movie and feel empowered unless there was, and maybe there is an example of this, where the killer is a woman who kills a bunch of men yeah it's Take called the witch who came from the sea oh and it's uh it's great i've got the blu-ray if you need to borrow it okay um, i think it's worth buying the blu-ray it's also very hard to find mm-hmm. and it is a woman who cuts off dicks yes so oh. and it's beautiful it's a beautiful film it's so gorgeous and trippy and wonderful when so did it come out uh 1970s oh, oh cool late wow 70s. So it's like same era yeah, that's amazing. Very okay, cool. so slash. There are slasher films that are easily read as feminist films. There are. This one, I would say, is very feminist film. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's, there's some gray areas. Yeah, <laughs> mistakes were made. Yeah, <laughs> mistakes were made. Oh, one last thing for anyone who's keeping track of uh, what my name, Caitlin Durante, anagrams to, relevant to this movie, Caitlin Durante anagrams to. Lori can't die, T-N, as in Lori can't die, die misspelled, but it's just D-I without the E, and then T-N obviously stands for tonight, so Lori can't die tonight. Wow. (laughs) Wish we had that. Uh, You you have such an anagrammable name. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks, Mom and Dad, for uh, I'm sure that that's why they did it. Yeah, they're like, uh, we could name her, like, you know, Joey. Um... (laughs) Shall we, uh, d- does this film pass the Bechdel test? Three, two, two. one. <laughs> yes. yes. 
Uh-huh. A lot, especially at the beginning. Yes, for uh, sure. A lot. While the women are still alive. <laughs> While the women are still alive, they're talking about they're talking a about lot of books. stuff. They're talking about a dance they're going to go to. They're talking about how Lori doesn't have anything to do that night. And, and why it's like, oh, duh. <laughs> you are a virgin. Therefore, you are not busy. <laughs> love that, that line of logic. Um, virgins are just, a, they're just waiting. Uh, they're hanging out. Uh, mm-hmm. They're talking about weed they talk about yeah. weed talk about all sorts of stuff yeah so uh so that yeah. was great mm-hmm. and again shouts out to deborah hill because uh you know and chances are if it was just uh you can always tell and we talked about this in the carry episode too you can always tell when a group of men are trying to write what they think teenage girls sound oh, yeah. like because it's insane yeah <laughs> it's just like uncanny valley full-on polar express like what are what is happening <laughs> It's just insane. Uh, so, but the but the dialogue between the women here, you know, it's like not they're not talking about heavy hitting stuff, but they're you know they're t- typical teenage girl talk. Tracked for me, yeah, yeah, for sure. Shall we rate the movie on our nipple scale? Let's do it. Uh, we've got a nipple scale. It's zero to five nipples, where we rate based on its portrayal of women. I. <clears throat> This is a tricky one for me because mm-hmm. I'm still not Are you putting it up against other horror films or just all films in general? Because that's also a Yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> I think you kind of have to compare it to other films of this specific genre. Okay. Because yeah. if we're putting it up against all movies where most movies don't it's not brutally fair. murder, you know, four different women. It's not fair to campy genres to do it against <laughs> yeah. every single yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, just putting it up against other slashers, uh, but keeping in mind that it is a movie that exists within the whole, you know, umbrella of American film, I guess I'm going to land on like a two and a half, mm-hmm. which might seem low. It might seem high. I don't know, but it's that's where, that's middle. what I feel, uh, because we we do see the Laurie Strode character is through some resourcefulness she is able to escape from a certain death Uh, she does have to have a man kind of come in and save her at the end but overall the development of the characters is i would say again compared to other movies of this genre i would say it's pretty strong although her close friend annie is very mean to her a lot of the time (laughs) that seems realistic for some reason (laughs) (laughs) because like sisterly different times like when they're talking about their plans for that night Annie's like, oh, good, I've got three choices. Watch the kids sleep, listen to Linda screw around, or talk to you, Lori. And it's like, oh, is talking to your good friend Lori as unappealing as the other two options you listed? (laughs) That's not nice. I mean, to be fair, Lori, she literally cops to. She's like, I'm never doing anything. So, like... Not your first choice for a hang. Yeah. The one who's like, yeah, no, nah, I'm not up to anything I at guess. any time. <laughs> like, but then where are well, these friends? Shit, you're not my first call. Because childhood. There's yes. only so many options. Yeah. Yeah. You're just the suburbs, you know. I sure. was that boring friend to many. Where it's like, well, she's, you know, she's a she's a good last pick because she'll be around. Yeah. <laughs> and they're right. Oh. oh. You guys want to come over and watch a movie? <laughs> my mom's got the hot glue gun out. Like, that's me. <laughs> that was me. 
So, yeah, I mean, I think that because this movie, I would say, handles, you know, the the nuance of of being a, a teen young woman in a slasher movie better than other movies of its genre, but also still requires that a bunch of women get killed because they wanted to have sex. So, yeah, I'm going to land right in the middle on a two and a half. I'll give two to Laurie Strode, mm-hmm. and I will give my half nip to the lack of understanding and the misrepresentation of mental illness in horror movies. <laughs> Fun nip. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm a two for this one. Um, not because I didn't enjoy the movie and I see a lot of value in it. And this is, again, it's like I would love to watch this movie in a group and, you know, mm. all that stuff. But I would kind of argue that we actually don't know these women very well. I like yeah. them all. And I, I love Annie's character especially. Uh, I like Linda's character. I like that they are openly sexual. Obviously, they're punished for it. That goes without saying for a lot of these movies. But I can't name a second thing about them, really, uh, other than maybe they have a boyfriend. Mm. Uh, so I, I don't know that we uh, actually know uh, that Linda much. says totally a lot. That's, so that's her thing. Two things. <laughs> yeah. Seventeen years of life has a boyfriend. Says totally. Uh, loves beer. Loves yeah. drinking and driving. <laughs> There's, given the amount of time, because it is like impressive and and cool how much screen time women take up in this movie. But given the amount of time there, especially like long scenes we have with these women, I do wish that there was a little bit more yeah, that we knew about it because it's not fair. like they're not there enough. Mm. So I think, and and then, I mean, sort of all the stuff we hit already that is also a criticism of the time in history of the heteronormativity, of the all-whiteness, of sort of what is almost expected uh, in, in a movie of, of this time mm-hmm. and, and the mental illness uh, stigma. I think it is, it is int- I, I, I like the idea behind Michael Myers a lot where it's like this is a villain who hates women and that's I'm not saying that's good but I am saying that there's a lot of heroes in movies who hate women um (laughs) so in terms of like someone who's openly hateful of women at least it's pretty well understood that he is bad and not good Mm -hmm. (laughs) so thumbs up for that Uh, yeah, two two for me and give one to Laurie Strode. I'm going to give one to Annie because she, she's just, oh, she's. I want to be her friend. Yeah, she's, she's so cool. I don't think she would have hung out with me. Honestly. <laughs> she would have. <laughs> I don't think she would have hung so. out with me. <laughs> <No>. Guarantee it. <laughs> <laughs> and what about you, April? Uh, I'm going to go three just because of the kind of depth I have of knowledge of other slashers mm-hmm. and the more lured way in which these murders are generally filmed. There's no, for instance, a knife kind of lingering on a woman's naked belly or something like that. There are there are different things that happen in slashers. And I would say this is actually quite tame. You know, this is almost like the Hitchcock version of it where you never see the stab kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And that's um, that's just very different. I mean, I I remember there are movie scripts that I was reading when I was in development horror films where it was just like a a man rapes a woman as he pulls out her spine, you know, and we're we're looking at this and, and, and those terms were like I would say like that's you know like the real gross part right mm-hmm. and then this is just it's it's not as bad filmically you know it's, sure. it's a the cinematography is is much more tasteful and the representation of that is much more tasteful if you can be tasteful about 
flaying a woman. I don't know. <laughs> but it, it's 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 almost like not over the top, and and that's something that I appreciate. And I and I think that you know what you were talking about with the fear coming from the possibility of these murders mm-hmm. is is much more kind of tangible and interesting to me. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, three nips mm-hmm. for me. Who would you um, like to give them to? I got to say, just like given to my three girls, right? Yeah. One for Linda, mm-hmm. one for Annie, and one for Lori. Friends forever. Friends forever <laughs> until, until in the yeah. next dimension, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, April, thank you so much for being here and educating us, too, because we, we truly uh, haven't explored this genre very much on this show. So yes, thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. Where can we, where can we find you on, on the webs? Well, you can look for me, my Maximum Fun show called Switchblade Sisters and on Who Shot Ya Pod. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, I write I write everywhere. It's true. Yeah. Hurrah. Everywhere. It's true. Yes. Read April's stuff. Yes. We'll, we'll link it to a lot of everything we discussed in the show today as well. And you can follow us at Bechtelcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You can subscribe to our Patreon, a.k.a. Matreon, which is $5 a month, and it gets you two bonus episodes every single month. Really good month this month. Ooh, we've got Babadook, who was noticeably absent from the film Halloween. It's and my that's... new favorite criticism. It's the new <laughs> Alfred Molina. Is, mm, didn't see the Babadook in this. I think Alfred Molina would have. Uh, I Actually, he was Michael Myers. So. <laughs> We don't know. We don't know. You in know? early part, I know. <laughs> because he texted me. <laughs> um, so early role for him, you know, mm. he's still scrapping around. People don't want to see his face yet because just the world's not ready. Right, right, um, right, right. So anyways, people, you know, Indiana Jones is his first credited role, but it's just really the first time you see his face. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, you can go to... Um, Patreon.com backslash Bechtelcast to become a matron. Woo. Quick plug about our East Coast tour. We are going to be in a few cities uh, starting November 3rd. We're going to be in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Uh, On November 4th, we're going to be in Washington, D.C. And on November 5th, we're going to be in New York City as a part of the New York Comedy Festival more details about the movies we're covering, guests, venues, and how to get tickets, go to Bechtelcast.com, go to our live appearances tab, and we'll have information there. You can also check our Twitter and Facebook. We'll be posting the links. So if you live in or near any of those cities, we hope to see you there. Also, go to tpublic.com slash thebechtelcast. Some special Halloween designs will be loose by the time this word, yay. Hey, you want a feminist icon Beetlejuice shirt? It's there. Whether you like it or not, it's available. For a limited time only. Yeah. Uh, and we have, our, of course, our classic feminist icon, queer icon, uh, and right. other designs there. Um, all right. How does the music go again? I already fucking forget. Oh. I was like, do, 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 do. That's absolutely no. wrong. Bye. Bye. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.